0: All right, uh, we've been talking about prayer, and uh, specifically last week we gave some thought to why it is that, that prayer appears not to work at times, and uh, that is a, uh, that's a huge problem. So I want to continue thinking about that a little bit more today. Maybe here's a good place to start. Uh, Phil Yancey is a, is a thoughtful writer that I've appreciated over the years. And he has a book on prayer. And uh, I was reading that this week. He says, For many people, unanswered prayer forms a barrier that blocks any desire to keep company with God. What kind of companion who has the power to save a life or heal a disease, would sit on the sidelines despite urgent pleas for help. In a sense, every war, every epidemic or drought, every premature death or birth defect stands as an accusation against the teasing promise of prayer. And uh, one of Yancey's strengths as a writer, I think, is he talks about the things that the rest of us don't talk about. And uh, that's case in point. So, uh, of the books on prayer, I'm probably going to send you a list one of these days of books that I felt most helpful in in reflecting about prayer. He's certainly on the list. So, uh, last week we talked about the failure of prayer or the absence of answers to prayer, looking particularly from our our own perspective. In other words, sometimes we we ask in inappropriate ways or for inappropriate things. So you may recall that we talked about inappropriate prayers and Not to re-preach that, but uh, just to get it in mind, we talked about double-minded prayers. James says, uh, don't let a double-minded person think they receive anything from the Lord. James also talks about selfish prayers, prayers that are focused on us. He says, uh, sometimes you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Then we talked about magical prayers. I think this is a huge issue. And I'm inclined to think it's probably growing in our culture. You know, a lot of the people who describe themselves as spiritual but not religious, when they think about prayer, they're really thinking about magical prayers. The difference between magic and or magical prayers and biblical prayers is the issue of control and submission, That's the fundamental thing. Magical prayers are about control. Controlling life. Controlling things that are bigger than you can so you try to harness supernatural power to give you protection or success or whatever. It's about control. Whereas biblical prayers are about submission. And the greatest example is Jesus in the garden. Right? Not my will, but yours. That's submission. And then there's... uh, Naive prayers. Uh, Prayers that don't reflect much of an understanding of the nature of God or the world or who we are before God. Uh, And we just had the illustration of, you know, praying that God will help you win the lottery. Nah, not likely to happen. Now, having said that, Let's also recognize that there are inappropriate prayers that God sometimes chooses to answer. And I think it's most frequently the case when you have young believers who have come out of a non-Christian background, and everything's new to them, and and I think God is of such character that he says... uh, I just sometimes want to show people the reality of life in Jesus and life in the kingdom. And sometimes, maybe it's happened to you. Uh, you ask for something that later on, you'd say, "Wow, I wouldn't answer that myself." And yet God, God answers it, because God is gracious. But these are all things I, I list in the area of inappropriate prayers. The, the problem is the prayer. Uh, more than it is something else. Well, let's uh, pursue this a little bit more today, and and I want to just read that story again, because in the midst of thinking about why prayer doesn't work, we want to make sure we hear Jesus' words of encouragement, that we ought to pray and not give up. So he tells this little story in Luke 18 that we looked at a bit before. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. In a certain town, he said, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Give me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't come eventually and beat me down. That's literally what it says. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. Yeah. He doesn't want to respond, but he gets tired, and finally gives in. Listen to that, said Jesus, and now think about God, your Father, who is a very different character from that judge. Will not God, who is so righteous and so willing to hear and so loving toward his people, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night, will, they keep, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. All right, and it's, it's particularly, if you look in the previous chapter, this is relating to the end game of the world, right? And his people being persecuted and God hearing those cries, and Jesus says uh, he will see that they get justice. He's different from the unjust judge who only gives justice because he gets tired, he gets worn down. God's not like that. God will see that they get justice and quickly. But but now, you know, Jesus' words they're complicated. you got to think about them. He will see that they get justice and quickly. Well, is 2,000 years quick? However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Well, why would that be a question? Well, in part because... You're waiting, and some people get tired, and some people give up. So the story stretches us in a number of directions, doesn't it? But the key thing that Jesus wants to hear is that we should pray and we should not give up. Because God delights to hear his people, and he promises that he will do what is right. All right, so, I mean, this parable suggests to us that there's complexity here. There's the issue of God's timing. What's he doing in the world? That has to be factored in, especially in those cases where prayer doesn't seem to work. So, let's... uh, Let's talk about two things. First, I want to talk about prayer and the world. What is the nature of the world that God has created, and does that impact how he responds to our prayers? And I think it does. Let's say a couple things about the nature of this world. First, life is hard. You knew that before. And after uh, a year and a half of COVID, you know it even better. Life is hard. Life is uh, sometimes like that guy pushing the rock up the hill. And you notice that the farther up the hill he gets, the steeper the climb. Do you feel like that? I, I can get in touch with that. Life is hard and so you're pushing the rock up the hill and what you're afraid of and what sometimes happens is you lose your grip on the rock and it goes the other direction and you get crushed. Now, here's the point. Prayer is not given to you and to me In such a way that God says, I'm going to work on your behalf so that that will not be true. In other words, prayer is not an escape from the reality that life is difficult. Jesus, right before the cross, in this world you will have trouble. but be brave, I've defeated the world. Pete Greig, perhaps we should accept what older people and poorer people and many of those with disabilities already know. Things are probably going to be very difficult today and just as hard tomorrow too. Ironically, it's when we finally accept the fact that life is not a five-star hotel and lay down our indignation at the way we are being treated that we begin to find hope. <clears throat> I think this is especially a challenge for us to come to grips with in the Western world because we, we benefit from a couple hundred years of technology that much of the rest of the world doesn't, and that technology is a certain protection from the hardness of the world. And so we can almost find ourselves surprised when we encounter the challenge. Uh, I, th- I think COVID, among other things, has shown us how thin a veneer technological protection is, and and we're surprised. <laughs> the ripple effect wow, uh, we can't even manage our international shipping because of this virus. Who would have thought? Life is hard. And that's not God's fault, is it? I mean, if we read the, the biblical story thoughtfully, what we find is that right in the beginning, Genesis chapter 3 Human beings made a choice. The choice was we can have a world that is ruled by God and we continue to do this blessed work in the garden that is right next to God's dwelling place. We're close to Him. We can either take that, we can be partners with God in a God-ruled world, or we can have a world where we get to be God and we run things how's that working out how's how's that working out in the school system how's that working out in Washington DC and go on and on right So life is hard, and prayer doesn't change that. Prayer may help us to live in a hard world. But that's different from taking away the the hardness. Here's the second thing about the world. Miracles are uncommon. That's why they stand out to us. Miracles, you know, kind of rough and ready... uh, Definition, I guess, would be miracles occur when God steps into the natural realm that he has created, created it to work according to certain laws or principles that are consistent. They're they're uniform. That's why science has had so much success, because it's built on the assumption of uniformity. You know, when you, when you drop something heavy, it, you can predict what direction it's going in. It doesn't end up on the ceiling. That's a good thing. Ships sail through the oceans and planes fly in the sky because we have an understanding of that consistency and reliability. Miracles are exceptions where God steps in and shows that he is Lord of all. But they're uncommon. And so we need to understand that when we pray and in desperation we ask God to do something extraordinary, that he can do it and he may do it. But it's not regularly the case that he will do it because he has created a world to work on those natural principles, and that's a good thing. When it is to our good and to his glory, he may choose to work other than in natural ways, and a miracle may take place. But it's also the case that we may ask for a miracle and not receive it. And again, that's that's not a problem with God, that's the world running the way the world was designed to run. So, you come out to your car one day this week and you put the key in and you're ready to get off to work and you turn the key and you hear click, then you realize that you left the lights on all day, or all night, and that battery's deader, deader than a doornail. And you might say, "Lord, help me. Please let this thing start." Because if I call AAA, it's going to be an hour before they get here, and you know how it goes, right? and you turn the key and you hear click most times God isn't going to do a miracle there friends most times God is saying uh, you need to be more careful because there are natural limitations to your battery And, and I'm not going to change the way the world works so that you can avoid paying the price of not remembering how batteries work. Now, on the other hand, there may be a case that is life-threatening. I've heard, you've probably heard some extraordinary stories of people in difficult situations. Sometimes people out in, you know, maybe missionaries out in the bush who, uh, who were in desperate circumstances. Something happened with their car, and they had nothing they could do except pray. And you know what? God did something extraordinary and brought them through. But that's not the normal situation. I, I would guess it's not even the normal situation for missionaries. So we're called to believe in miracles, to believe in the God who does that. He does sometimes make a way through the sea, but he doesn't normally do that. Miracles are uncommon. We need to understand that when we pray. <clears throat> and then here is here's a, a nut to crack, which I used to think I could crack. I can't crack this one. Here's the mystery that God has created human beings with freedom. All right? God, God, who is the sovereign God, who can do whatever he chooses to do, has chosen to give human beings some measure of freedom that even allows them to resist what God wants to do. That, that's a great mystery. And some people go on one side of that mystery and they say, well, you know, God, God doesn't really have that kind of power. He's not really sovereign in that extent, and other people say, "Well, God is, and so human beings don't really have that freedom." And uh, but I just end up somewhere in between. So, so here's the thing: see, with prayer, you're praying with a friend. I have a couple of friends I'm praying for that they uh, that they come to the Lord. God, would you, would you speak to them? And when I'm with them, would you give me understanding and opening to present truth to them? And uh, I've known each of these people for a number of years and prayed for them, interacted with them. And, and I could say, well, God, why, why aren't you doing this? But see, there's, there's another part of the chemistry there, right? Right? There's their response. There's their freedom. Some of you have prayed to the Lord for your children to come to faith or to grow or to mature and you're not seeing what you want and maybe you prayed for 20 years. God, what's happening here? Well, here's part of the issue, right? Human beings have freedom to resist God, to resist the Spirit. And and our prayers are not somehow control exercised over people, to force them to do what they don't want to do. So, those couple things about the world. Now let's think about a couple things in relationship to God himself. We pray, maybe for years, and our prayer seems not to be answered. And we wonder why, and we get discouraged. But, but here's one possibility, that God has something better. That, that God's no is not just a blanket no, it's, it's a no but. I would imagine if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you've experienced something of this no, but, because there's something better. One of the great illustrations of my life was when I was in seminary and beginning to sense God's call uh, to me that that I might consider giving my life to teaching. And uh, as I thought about that and and started to feel more inclination that way. Uh, The question came up, well, what would be preparation for teaching at, say, a Christian college or even a seminary? What would be preparation for that? And the answer, by the time I went to school, was, well, you you ought to have a doctor's degree. Okay, try and get a doctor's degree. And so I started looking around and applying to different places. I had a problem I was in the first graduating class of biblical seminary down in Hatfield and they did not have the right from the state of Pennsylvania to grant degrees. So I was looking for graduate programs that were expecting their applicants to have accredited degrees. I said, well, I've got a certificate and here's the work I've done. Not good enough for a number of places. One place came back and said, We will take you tentatively toward our doctoral program, but first you have to come and do another master's degree. If you do well enough on that, then we'll consider you for the doctorate. But even there, it wasn't a guarantee. So, in all of that, it became pretty discouraging, and I had begun to think, Well, maybe, you know, God, this isn't, I'm not reading the tea leaves right. This isn't even where you're leading. And it was uh, getting close to the end of the school year, and I was looking to do something in the following fall, and a professor of mine, at that time I was doing some work at Westminster, a professor said, hey, I just got an invitation uh, to give a lecture at Drew University up in central New Jersey. I'd never even looked at that school. And uh, he said, I'm going to go and see if I can get you in there. They had a doctoral program. You know, in my mind, I said, well, good luck. <laughs> and uh, he came back from that lecture. He said, there's a man up there who's a fine Christian. He said he thinks you can get in, you can get credit for your master's degree, and you can even get money. And I said, let's talk. <laughs> and, and so I went up and visited this man who was uh, just a, a, a fine, knowledgeable evangelical theologian and uh, short story uh, I did get in and I did get a full scholarship and it worked out better so the frustration in this case was because God had something better and he was closing other doors well you probably got stories like that too and that's part of praying to a God that Jesus says knows our needs before we ask him And sometimes he surprises us in these wonderful ways, but only after a period of struggle in prayer and trying to discern what God's doing. The other thing about God is that he desires relationship. You know, when when I pray, I tend to be pretty transactional. And in my mind I say, I'm praying because I want to get this. God, would you give me this? That's a a transaction. And that's not unimportant. I mean, we're encouraged to pray for specific things. But but what God desires is a relationship with his people. James says, come near to God, and he'll come near to you. Remember our diagram, right? Right? See, the big thing to the father in that, in that picture, the big thing to the father is not the work that he's getting out of his son. It's the relationship that is being built. And I have no doubt that that is, shall we say, the greatest desire of God. In inviting us to pray. Maybe it's even the reason that he delays answering. Maybe he just likes to have us show up and talk about our world and his world. Pete Gregg says some prayers aren't answered because God Himself is a greater answer. Than the thing we are asking for. And he wants to use our sense of need to draw us into a deeper relationship with him. He's the greater answer. I I like that. And unfortunately, that's, that's not always the case with me that I think he's the greater answer. I think the greater answer is what I want which is not necessarily him. Phil Yancey says the real value of persistent prayer, the kind of prayer Jesus talks about, where we come back and we come back, is not so much that we get what we want as that we become the person we should be, a person in love with the Father, God desires relationship. And then the last thing. Good, Good to put it at the end of this discussion of the challenge of unanswered prayer. After we've said all these things, the fact remains that God is a mystery. And we shouldn't be surprised at that because Other human beings are mysteries, aren't they? Even the ones you've lived with for 50 years, like me and my wife, who who still has the ability to surprise me. I didn't know I was living with that kind of person. Well, how much more so with an infinite, eternal God? That he should be mysterious. And you know, in the Bible, there's probably no story that points us in that direction more than the story of Job, huh? Because all these things happen in the background that Job has no clue to, and he's just befuddled and lives through terrible tragedies and wants to hear from God, and he finally hears from God, and we're kind of ready now say, okay, after all this waiting and patience and faithfulness on Job's part, now he's finally going to get the explanation. Crickets. In terms of explanation, he never gets it. He, he's never even told in, in the story, he's never even told about the devil's part in all of this. But what he's left with in the end is a very honest and open, even kind of raw, relationship with God himself. But full of mystery, huh? And so our prayer life with God has that element of mystery. And uh, we shouldn't be surprised by that. Disappointed, put off, uh, it's the Lord Himself who says, My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As the heavens are high above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. There's a mystery about God. All right, well, next week uh, we're going to move on to some other considerations in regard to prayer. Let's have our musicians come up and uh, let's pray. Gracious Father, we pause before you once again to acknowledge your greatness, to acknowledge your supreme wisdom, to give you thanks that you love your people and you always hear when we pray. And Father, we confess our slowness to come and pray to you. We confess the doubts that lead us to wonder at times if you care or if you are listening. We confess the frustration of sometimes longing for good things that you never seem to get around to do. but we are encouraged by the words and the example of the Lord Jesus himself who said we ought always to pray and not give up. And we want to learn how to pray better, Lord. I I want to learn that. This just feels like something that is coming so slowly, like I, I should be down the road much farther than I am in the life of prayer. So Lord, would you would you help me in this and, and all my friends here to grow in the grace of prayerfulness, because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.